As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Before you can have the conversation about how the growth happens, like, <laughs> have you made enough space to grow? Have we created space for ourselves to do the work we know we are capable of? And if not, what are the things, systemic, personal, or communal, that would help us get closer to what that space looks like? Hey, this is Raina Campbell, your chief dream driver, and welcome to the No Parking Podcast. Where through conversations and discussions with creators like yourself, we'll find interesting approaches to help you take your dreams out of park, put them in drive, and ride towards success. Hey, Dream Drivers, welcome to episode 137 of the Dreams and Drive podcast. And today we are going to be chatting with Jonathan Jackson, a co-founder and head of corporate brand at Blavity. And on this episode, we dive into a much needed discussion on mental health and self-care and what that can actually look like for millennial creative entrepreneurs and hustlers who want to make an impact, but also want to learn how to keep afloat while doing so. And as you guys know, this journey of self-care mental health is something that we're all going on like how are we checking in on ourselves and this is something that Jonathan is really passionate about so it was so great to hear him speak and share his tips and strategies that he hopes others can use by way of his own story on this episode we talk about the qualities of a good leader how to make more money and still be happy the conversation we're not having when it comes to self-care And I really like this this topic that we talked about, the good place versus the right place to be. You guys are going to love, love, love this episode. So if you're listening right now and you're excited, please share this with a friend. And when you're done, share it with a friend. I love when you guys are sharing on Instagram stories, Twitter and Facebook. So screenshot it, repost all of that. So we do have a giveaway this week. We teamed up with Passion Planner to give away two of their dated classic timeless Black Sunday planners. You guys are going to love these planners. They have weekly layouts, annual and monthly overview calendars, monthly reflection questions to keep you focused on your progress and so much more. So if you want to enter to win one of these super dope planners, go to dreamsanddrive.com slash win. That's dreamsanddrive.com slash win. And before we get into the episode, one last thing. Remember, our Dreams and Drive online merchandise shop is now open. So if you want a Dreams and Drive hoodie, t-shirt, or crew neck, just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash shop to shop today. And remember, we are doing 10% off when you use the code DRIVER and free shipping for the rest of February. So please, guys, hop on that. So make sure you get some Dreams and Drive merch. I would greatly appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy Jonathan. 
Hey, John, welcome to this episode of Dreams and Drive. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I know, as we were saying before this got started, it's been such such a long time since we caught up. I was actually trying to remember how we first connected, and I remember it. It was my friend Amina, yeah, Amina yeah. Yamusa, who I think like put us together, and we met at some like random, was it like a Korean pastry shop somewhere in Midtown or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, it was that it was like yeah, it was like a bakery or something. Something with like very aggressively priced uh like finger food. Yeah. So I think we both got like something to drink. <laughs> we both like, yeah. nah, we don't want this. <laughs> Cause you, you were working at LinkedIn at the time. And I think I just had like my, uh, my, I was working at a nonprofit downtown mm-hmm. and we linked up and it was just so, so refreshing to find somebody else who was, you know, interested in media, who was doing good things. And I think you were the one who connected me with Morgan, uh, the other uh, co-founder of Blavity and that's how I interviewed Morgan for Madame Noir and if you guys are listening you know Morgan was on the show so I did that first interview with her and it's just you know like connections relationships from there right right so I like to start our interviews going back in time um, and really reflecting on who we were as children because I think that's a really good you know it's a, it, it's sometimes it helps us to go back and reflect on those days. Like what was inspiring the young John? Like, you know, if I had to say, you know, what were you like as a young kid? How would you describe yourself? Uh, man, I love to read. Like I had a voracious appetite um, for books and just like stories. Like I love my mom used to read me Peter Rabbit before I went to bed, which is just like an old like classic story. But I would have her read it to me so many times that I memorized it. Um, after a while. So before I learned how to like fully read, I had memorized stories that mattered to me mm-hmm. so I, since I was really little. I've always understood or loved stories. And I felt like, um, I could tell good ones. Um, and so I think books, books were a big thing for me. And then also just like people, I was always inspired by people who I felt like around me were doing cool things or, um, who just had the ability to command an audience or, Um, Just be in front of people and and sort of make the most of whatever it was they had. Um, So those are, I think, growing up, like just people that maybe as an adult, what we call gravitas, like anybody that could just command a room. I was always fascinated by by like the people that other people would follow. I always wanted to know why, like what made that person special? What did they have? Who was someone that you figured out that why, you know, early on, if, if you can remember? Yeah. Um. So I was like reading like fairly aggressively when I was really little. So what like, were you reading? <laughs> like I um um I remember I, I first started reading Roots when I was like eight or nine. Okay, uh, damn, so, that's kind of deep for eight year old. Aggressive, like that's, yeah. So um, uh, and I, I sort of had just always had like just a, a fairly conscious understanding of sort of history, and like my parents never really hid anything um, to the extent they they could. I think the first person who I, I saw that people just really, really followed um, and just like had a voice was like Frederick Douglass. So I had a teacher who gave me the autobiography of Frederick Douglass when I was in probably like maybe eighth or ninth grade. Okay. Um, and I just remember it's possibly, in my opinion, one of the best stories about the intersection of like self-determination and community that I think we have in like the American um sort of literary uh, tradition. And so for someone to teach themselves how to read and like come up out of slavery in many respects, and then to be the foremost opponent 
of the very thing that he had been subjected to and be the most voracious um, and arguably most articulate voice of his time as like a, a rhetorical force to me. Like people listened to him, even if they disagreed, he was the most photographed man in America. Mm-hmm. Like people would like, he, he was that powerful and he was black. Like that's not regular. Um, and so for me, that was probably, I think the first person where I was like, wow, like that's, you can use words to make things. And then you can use the things you make to get people to think differently. You know, thinking about the dream back then, you know, like you, you love to read, you love to really figure out the, the who behind people, you know, like what, what was the dream a young John was dreaming about who he was, who big John was going to be? Yeah, Big John. I, I don't really know. I, I kind of wanted to be a lawyer um, at first. Um, I, I sort of watched a bunch of law and order, I think. So I was always like, Ooh, like that seems interesting a doctor for a little bit. My mom, my mom's a nurse. So that was like just sort of what I saw. And I saw that she was, she helped a lot of people. I've never really known. And I still don't. I just, I just knew that there were things I was really good at and I didn't understand why. And that I had the ability to talk to pretty much anybody I wanted to. I was like, okay, well, what kind of jobs do people like that do? And come to find out there's a lot of them. And then the ones that I think sort of go on to do more things, usually end up inventing their job. I, I don't really have an answer for what that would be. I think I've gotten better at understanding where I shouldn't be, which has just made things a lot easier. But like, what was that thing that you were, I, that you identified as this, you know, strength or this skill set that you excelled in? Yeah, I knew I could, I knew I could read really well. I knew I could write really well. And then I knew I could take things that were somewhat complex for other people and distill them down into very clear, um, somehow somewhere i've always been able to articulate things to people really clearly um and that's how i know i understand it is if i can explain it simply to people around me that have no context about what i'm doing or where i'm at um that means i understand the information if i can't do that i need to do more work um so i've I've always had that sort of um teaching methodology and how i try to explain whatever i'm in most part like how i'm feeling um to people and then when it comes to work, I think I've been um, fortunate that I've been in roles and in places where that's been called upon um, to, to higher orders of degree, depending on depending on sort of the situation and the context. Um, but maybe let's go to high school for a bit. Right. Because okay. I think me and you have a similar experience in the sense that we went to like private high schools um, yep. around a different demographic than we might have been used to. And, and we definitely learned a lot of stuff during that time. I know for you, and I'm not trying to like to make your story shorter, but you yep. suffered a concussion while playing football that yep. affected your high school experience. So thinking yep. about all these things that happened in high school, especially because that's a pivotal moment for a lot of us when we really start to discover ourselves like what was the thing that you like really learned about yourself during this time that you think stayed with you until today till today their relationships were going to be a transformative part of my life no matter what so you know with the concussion it was i wasn't going to beat people on merit not because i'm not intelligent i am but i knew that i had to have a different strategy to survive high school so I wasn't trying to graduate. I, I was really trying to survive with my mental capacity intact. Um, and so it was a very different view of high school than I think a typical 16 or 17 year old um, that I was around. Um, so I was like, how do I make it out of here and get through to the objective, which was college? To do that, I had to make very clear relationships with people that could help me 
Um, and that was peers, that was teachers, that was um, mentors, whoever I needed. I started to learn how to collect those relationships and then organize them into a framework that worked well for me. You know, it, it was never about merit. And that's another lesson I learned sort of in doing that was that the people that were sort of doing the getting ahead or doing that, the work, they weren't necessarily smarter than me. They just had better access to resources. Listen, I I tell people all the time, there were people who like in in, uh, in high school that were getting 2300s, 2400s on the SATs, right? And I knew that I physically, well, not physically, like I... I wouldn't want to say it was more book smart than them, maybe had more intelligence. I was confident enough to say that. But they, they've been taking SAT prep classes since second grade, right? So it's like you really do that becomes so you become aware of those differences. At least I did while while in, you know, prep school. Yeah. I mean like tests, right, are not a measure of raw intelligence. They are an actual formatted, designed um, examination of can you take this test well, not can you think critically, right? It's not it's not a robust assessment. Um, most people that we talk about know it's a farce, right? It's why when you apply somewhere, schools are like we look at the whole person, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, look at the test score, but you know, learning how to take the test is actually the the battle. It's not like are you smart enough? And once I sort of reframed that for myself, I saw more options about what I could do. And I had to think differently about how I was going to get to the things that were the most important to me. So coming out of high school and going to Wash U, what was the most important thing for you? It was finding out when I got to Wash U how I could get to the resources I needed much faster than I was able to in, in high school. Okay. What were those resources that you needed? Yeah. So I came out of high school um, with a, pretty, a fairly mild anxiety disorder. Um, and, um, because of the concussion. Yeah. So I developed developed an anxiety disorder, um, and sort of something that would just really stress me out. So I had extended time on, on, on certain testings. And then also on top of that, I just knew that I needed to understand who my professors were going to be and make sure I had relationships with, with people that were powerful on campus. Now I didn't know the power structure because it looks different. I knew the power structure in high school. I'd spent four years there. Had no idea what it looked like at my at my college university, and I also ended up starting a semester late because of the the program I was in when I got accepted. So I started my uh, second semester of freshman year. So I didn't have a freshman fall. Um, so I came in like, okay, I have I'm gonna I have to graduate in three and a half years, and I need everything. I need all the relationships. I need to know all the people. I need to know what's moving where, and so I, I was sort of focused on the people aspect. Um, of what it was going to require. And I needed, I need, I, wa- I wanted to make friends. Like I didn't know anybody. I'm not from St. Louis. So I had to sort of go and, and make, and make friendships and relationships. I would feel overwhelmed, right? Like if I had to be in that position, like how did you manage all the different emotions and all the pressure? I'm assuming that that might have been building up for you or that, that might have affected you. Yeah, I, I think it it was, but I had just been, three and a half years dealing with that. So I was, I was more, I was more used to pressure because right when I got my concussion, I asked the, um, the, the student committee or the, uh, the rather governing committee in my, my high school, I wrote them a letter and petitioned them to let me repeat the 10th grade. 
right? So I intentionally asked for another year because I was not, I was not comfortable with how I had performed in my first year. So I, st- I, I asked to stay back so I could have a full experience because I felt like I got robbed. So I, I was no stranger to pressure. So I showed up on campus and I, I anticipated that it was going to be hard. I said, okay, this is going to be difficult. I'm, I'm far from home. I don't know anyone. And I've only been on campus four times um, to visit. So all I have are the 50 people that are in this, um, what they call the January program. And I, I got to meet everybody. So I showed up on campus as like a kid. Nobody, people didn't even know if I really went to school there. I had, I, it was so sporadic that people thought I was like just from another surrounding school. You were just so, walking around campus yeah. <laughs> coincidentally. Yeah. Cause there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, decent amount of colleges in, in St. Louis. So there are a bunch of schools I could have been from and people didn't see me in class. So they were like, well, who is he? And so I had to sort of um, carve out my own little niche or whatever and figure out how I was going to um, make the most of this new opportunity. But I I had spent four years learning how to do that in a what I would describe um, as a hostile environment in, in, in the sense that I didn't have like that much stability. It was, it was a lot easier in that regard because I had some practice dealing with that. Was being part of a startup team, being part of a team that was creating, ideating, you know, executing upon these idea- ideations ever part of the vision at this point? No, never. Like, I'm not I'm not one of these, like, purebred entrepreneurs who, like, has it in their DNA. I'm not from, like, the Gary Vaynerchuk school of, like, you know, you can if you got an idea, you can just make something. Not that I've, I've always been creative. I've always made things with my mind and then written them down and I can use words fairly well, but I'm, I'm not really, I'd say from that school of like, you're cut to be this kind of, you don't go against the green entrepreneurial person. I've gone against the green as a, as a person because of necessity. Mm -hmm. And I just require different things for how I learn. And that makes me entrepreneurial in how I think about situations. But the idea that I wanted to build a company and no, that was never um, on my radar or something I had thought about like as a career choice or an option. Um, not because I don't think it's interesting, but because I just had other interests mm-hmm. uh, and other things that sort of occupied my, my, my mind. So we're going to have a little crossover moment, right? So episode 88, we interview Morgan DeBon, uh, one of the co-founders of Blavity. So I don't want to make this uh, a, a podcast about Blavity because I definitely think that story has been told. But just take us to the moment where, you know, you met Morgan and you guys had this idea. Like, did you guys ever think that it would ever evolve or morph into what it is now? Yeah. So, I mean, I met, I met Morgan in, ooh, let me say, uh, since I know now. Yeah, uh, uh, 2010. So probably like spring 2010. And Morgan had the idea um, for Blavity. Um, she told us when she was when she was in the Bay. So she'd been sitting on it, but she told me about it. After we had, everybody had graduated. Okay, um, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, thought it was like I thought it was happening like when you guys were all at WashU. Okay. Yeah. So the term blavity happened at WashU. So I okay. want to make in here. So blavity is the word black and gravity, right? So on campus, it described the moments when black students would gather together. The iteration in which that happened was at a table um, in our in our lunchroom, and the term for that was blavity. So like it was born in in that in that regard there the company itself and the vision that she set out to um, accomplish and is still is still working on um, came to fruition 
um, you know, in 2014. Uh, but that meeting of all of those people happened um, in undergrad because I'm, I'm the youngest out of um, Morgan, Jeff, uh, and Aaron. Well, thank you for clarifying that because I think I always imagined that it was like you guys were all just sitting in the cafeteria. She said, "Hey, this is going to be a company one day," and it just ran from there. So, thank <laughs> you for thank you for clarifying that. Um, I know after graduating, uh, you were part of a LinkedIn fellowship program. Was that? Yeah, okay. yeah, business leadership program. So it's essentially like an entry level uh, career program for kids coming out of undergrad. So they put you through uh, a variety of rotations and. Um, you know, opportunities. And so that was, uh, big for me. Cause up until that point I had gotten, uh, about 45 no's. I had turned down my only standing job offer coming out of my, uh, junior year, uh, summer into my senior year, which in retrospect is like, you know, sort of aggressive, I suppose. <laughs> you um, always had that hustle in you or that, that, uh, that spirit in you, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I just felt like I could bet on my, my intellectual abilities. Cause I, I'd been in, again, I, based on what I went through in high school before that, I've seen myself in immense amount of pressure. And I know that I don't fold and I don't break. I think I've always had that, 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 that type of juice in me, but you're presented with moments across the course of your life when you can sort of activate that and, and test yourself in that moment to say no and, and trust myself I happened, you know, my senior fall. So I ended up having a job through LinkedIn, got referred from a mentor of mine and then sort of moved to the Bay area again. Um, which I had never been to. But again, you know, Morgan was out there and, and some other people I went to school with in, in undergrad that I had built relationships with. So I sort of had, um, you know, the makings of a community there. How did you enjoy working in a corporate environment such as LinkedIn? It was great. You know, I learned an incredible amount of things that I um, still take a lot of learning from and I can reflect on, especially because I was younger. And so I see things very differently now. Having grown a lot personally and professionally, I also think the environment that LinkedIn curates, I sort of got a, uh, a an aggressive appreciation for like continuous learning. And so I think sometimes what happens is you get the job that has like a cool thing and you get like a cool brand and it is very easy to stop learning. It doesn't mean you're going to stop being good. You're going to have challenges, but like the act of learning outside of your job is your responsibility. And I was gracious that I had managers at every single level at which I was at LinkedIn that were representative of that. So they've either had transformative experiences that they put themselves in front of, or they just took their learning so seriously that I had a model for that. And so the way I think about work was probably fundamentally altered by my time at LinkedIn based on the proximity that I had to people who had gone through various iterations in their career. And then sort of deviated or what I'd like to call jumped out the window and just been like, yep, I was doing that. And now I'm doing this. I was working in this continent and now I'm going to work on that continent. And I never seen that, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't grow up around people that had sort of done that mm -hmm. generally. And so it felt like it wasn't a thing I could do, but then I was seeing people again that were getting that opportunity, not because they, you know what I'm saying they, they were talented, but it wasn't like a merit thing. They were just asking for what they wanted and then they were doing it. What do you think was that biggest lesson that you walked away from LinkedIn knowing that, like, I'm going to carry this with me until I die? Until I die. Um, I'm sorry if that's too deep. Leadership is deeply unsexy is probably. Yeah. Talk to me about that, because, you know, I feel like there 
It's funny because I feel like some people are natural leaders, right? Where that's that's what they gravitate to and that's where they feel like they excel. So like, talk to me about like what that means to you. Leadership is about sacrifice. And I don't mean that in the terms of like violating your own care for yourself or not um, being restorative. I really mean that if you are not willing to um, not just eat last, but feel first, mm. you probably shouldn't call yourself a leader because- What I have seen, I asked a fairly senior executive at LinkedIn the first time I had a chance to sit um, and talk to him, you know, what the hardest part about his job is, right? He's got a huge org, controls, uh, you know, eight-figure, almost eight-figure part of the business at at minimum and is responsible for, you know, some of the biggest mergers and acquisitions and just, you know, normal guy, family, just incredible. Seems like he has it all. And I was like, what's the hardest part about this? It can't all be rosy. He said, Jonathan... The hardest part about it are the emails I get where I've got someone on my team and um, their parent dies and, you know, they're over a huge um, portion of the business and I have to, you know, tell them to take some some bereavement time. Or when somebody, um, you know, um, gets sick and nobody knows about it and, you know, I have to I have to give an announcement to his team or they or her team on behalf of them because they have to bury a child. Like that's the kind of leadership things that like nobody talks about is like, who are you when the person you depended on to do the thing has a situation bigger and the best and the most important thing you can do for them is to tell them to stop caring about their job and start focusing on their life. That's the part of leadership we don't talk about. But that is required if you're going to build an empire or you want to be a mogul, you're going to get persistently closer to those situations where like things happen and you're not going to be tested on whether you can build the the business model canvas. That's not the question. The question is, do you have the, the constitution of your character required to do the simple but hard thing? Yep. And I feel like so many of us, when we think about even if we're people who are entrepreneurial, people who want to grow within their careers, who are more like entrepreneurs, I feel like money sometimes is that thing that we talk about a lot and like getting more money or making more money. And that's the motivation. Like, why do you think that steering the conversation past solely talking about like money is so important? I don't know if it is. Right. So I, I, I want to be clear here. Like I'm into people getting the bag. I know all the statistics on um, if you're talking about like who gets what and how wealth is. Mm-hmm. distributed. Right? So I am never, ever, ever in the business of distracting people from getting paid well, getting paid what they deserve and asking routinely for more money as they deserve it, because there are not enough of us getting paid what we deserve. Now, there are a lot of ways to make the kind of money that would make people happy. I don't think we have a conversation about all the ways you could do that. Mm, What do you mean? All right. So, I mean, you could do that at your job. Okay. I'll I'll scenario plan for you. Let's say you make uh, 80,000 a year, right? Decent job and you're happy, right? But you're like, you know, my, 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 uh, what I want to clear, but let's say you want to clear a hundred K post tax, right? So government takes what they take, but you're like, okay, I got this bag here. I make 80 at my job, right? So you're spread. You're trying to make up a difference of 20 K. Right. Now you could go, you know, there's a role you want then. And the entry level for that role is 105. Right. So it's a, it's a what, what they call a skip level role. So it's a role that they'd say you're not ready for. But you're like, I have the relationships. I have an exec sponsor. You've done all the things. 
you're reading all the Forbes articles, whatever. <laughs> you're, you're like, I'm going to make that leap. That is one framework for doing that. You walk in the room, you're like, you know what, boss, I want to be paid 110. Here, here's my track record. Here's what I'm working on. Here's my vision for the role. Awesome. They say, they say yes, right? Cool. Gucci. If they say no, though, right, and you still like your job, like you don't hate your job, it's cool, you're just trying to get to a different position, there are a, a incredible amount of ways for you to actually make up that 20K that I don't know if we, generally speaking, take the time to think about what that would look like and how much time that would take. For instance, you don't have to be, quote unquote, like an entrepreneur to, and quit your job to do the thing you want to do. You could actually build a sustainable business in any number of arenas where there is an uptick and there is a need and actually over a course of time grow linearly and make up that difference. You could also, in making up that difference, be less taxable because you're not making over 100K. You've built a pass-through entity and you can plug that into a trust. So your actual taxable income goes down, you're making more money, and you're exactly where you want to be. That is a different framework for making $100,000 a year. Now, the amount of time it takes to do that is different. You can negotiate it. And there's, there's probably a bunch of episodes that you have in your <laughs> Yeah. But what I mean is like we are deserving of a broader conversation about what it is people we actually want to do and what are the plethora of ways in which it could be accomplished that would not decrease our quality of life. And feeling like we don't have to be in a box. And it's funny because I just did an interview before this where Nadia basically just said that, you know, at some point in her career, she felt like people were putting her inside of a box, right? And sometimes we think of this whole idea, maybe the word career, maybe this word job itself is a box where we just feel so limited. So I love that you are talking about these different, like the different pathways that we can get to reach the end goal because so many people feel so stuck. And then in the very act of them feeling stuck, it's like they're they're missing out on all the possibilities for themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah, man, I think of uh, I, I don't I don't think of sort of what I've done so far as a career anymore. I think about it like a portfolio. Right. So it's like if you were to open my portfolio, you would see a bunch of different pages. And on those pages, you'd see very specific things. And it's sort of like project based work. And now the, the length of the project is different. But like I can tie a string through the things I've done. And then that helps me sort of. um Think about what other skills or experiences do I want for what I'm trying to solve for. And that changes. That target can be moving. Um, but I felt like as long as I'm consciously making those choices based on what I think I need to be doing, I don't have to worry about um, am I happy with what my career looks like? Because I built this. Mm. Like I, I made these choices. Like these, I, I have not lost any agency. That's where I think people go wrong is you feel like you don't have agency and I'm like, if you can still make these choices, you do. Now, those choices will cost you something, but don't ever let anybody make you feel like you don't have agency because that's that's the minute you lose. Yep. So let's talk about one of those pages in your portfolio that I, I know a lot of people probably want to hear about is being head of you know corporate brand at Blavity. 
congratulations. You know, I feel like it's such, I'm just so proud of seeing how the whole Blavity team has just grown over these past few years. As I said, you know, I interviewed Morgan when she first started out and just seeing how the vision started at, as something and has morphed into something so much greater and so bigger. Like what are the biggest challenges that you're facing now or that you're working through from like that corporate brand level that you think will resonate with our dream drivers who are building their own dreams? I think uh, one of the major ones is focus. There are a lot of things that are good. I think when you grow and you, you sort of get to do more and you see more things, the conversation becomes less about like a good or bad thing. It, it's, it's not binary. It becomes like, is this thing worth my time? So you start saying no to things that are interesting, but they are not aligned. And if you do not say no, you risk far more than what happens when you say no. And what you risk is getting distracted and doing interesting, cool, important things, but they don't actually align to the goals you set for yourself. Or in, the, in my case, right, the company goals. I, I try to actually check myself um, a lot more and ask, like, is this the right place for me to be? Not is it a good place? Like you mean a decision that you're making or do you mean working at it's, Blavity? No, no, I think it's a decision. I mean, okay. legitimately. Like the, the, the places that people would ask me to be, the things that people want me to do. Um, but I think you can you can actually extrapolate that framework to your job. It's helpful to do that. And I think it's healthy for people to, 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 to reset and be like, is this where I should be? Not is this a good place? Because I think, you know, you can generally identify that. But sometimes we can get intoxicated with the feeling of doing the right thing or the feeling of being needed. And overlook a deeper conversation with yourself, which is, am I getting closer to the kind of life I said I wanted when I first started? That's so important. Like, and I feel sometimes we skip over having that conversation because we, we don't want to be faced with the reality of the answer. Right. Yeah. Cause if it's no, then you're going to have to make some adjustments and you don't have to make them all at once, but those are tiny pivots. But if you don't make those adjustments, you have essentially told yourself that you don't necessarily believe you're worth the thing you said you were capable of based on your actions. Do you think that is a coming to that, you know, that uh, conclusion or just being able to have that conversation is a process? Because I feel like it takes somebody really self-aware to to be able to even know that this is something they should be doing. Right. Like, how did you come to a point of really figuring out focus was important for the brand and for you as an individual? I, I have seen myself in enough situations where I, I know if I feel scatterbrained, it's based on some choices I made in the day. So because I have the ability to control my schedule, right, which is usually the thing people tout as an entrepreneur, um, as like that's, that's part of the freedom, right? I don't answer anybody. I control my own thing. If I control my schedule, then what was I saying yes to? Mm. Like if it's my calendar and I, I have autonomy over it, why do I feel like this at the end of the day? What, what decisions was I making that were not aligned? If I feel drained, like I can just go back in my account. Cal your calendar tells the truth on you every time. Yeah. Every time, whether it's open or full, your calendar will tell you who you are. What if you don't use a calendar? <laughs> I'm just I'm just playing no, devil's no, no. advocate. Whatever, whatever, whatever the thing, but like mm -hmm. either way, right? Even if you don't like where your time was allocated was what you were focusing on. 
And so if, if you were, if you can retrace the steps, even six or three or two hours, and you were like, how was I feeling when I was doing this work? You can build sort of a graph and acknowledge that like, wow, I was not engaged in this work. That's why it took me three hours. I was engaged in this work, which is why it took me 20 minutes and I had a clear deliverable. How do I get that type of focus and what adjustments do I need to make? And like, what's my working style? And like, those are all things I used to think were like kind of wonky until they started impacting the quality of days and then weeks and then months I was having. So for me, focus is a necessity because if I do not, it affects other people. Like me not focusing isn't about Jonathan. It's about somebody might not get what they need to do their job. And that is my responsibility. That falls on you as a leader. If you said you were going to do something, your say and do ratio should be very high. It should be one to one. If I said this, I do this. If I am unable to, I adjust and I tell you that I am unable to. And then I give you a deadline based on what I think I'll be able to do. But that is how you hold yourself accountable and build constraints that actually help you get closer to the things you said you want to do. Let's talk about growth, because that's something else that I think Blavity and your team has just been really good at. You know, there's a lot of creatives who are listening in, a lot of people who are lifestyle entrepreneurs. Fill in the blank here, right? More creators need to blank because blank when it comes to growth. When it comes to growth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> More creators need to be willing to go through their own fires to come out on the other side more refined. Mm. That, that, that's sort of like a, a very like ethereal sort of like wishy-washy quote. But I, I really mean that you know, generally speaking, the thing you're running from. You might not know what it, like how to articulate it, but you know there's a thing you haven't faced. And I don't mean like it could be like a creative project. I mean like there's a, there's a conversation with a person or a thing and sometimes the blocks I find for creatives aren't necessarily in the work. So when we have a thing we're doing, we throw ourselves into the work and we avoid the conversation we need to have with the friend who's not actually our friend and who we give attention to that could be better spent somewhere else. Do you, so you think doing that can help grow in all aspects? So thinking about monetization, thinking about community, like really figuring out that block can really help you know, build momentum? Yeah, because it's all about energy. Like I don't believe there's a lack of talent anywhere. That's part of the Blavity thesis. Like black people are supremely talented, right? That's not the issue. The issue is like, have we created space for ourselves to do the work we know we are capable of? And if not, what are the things systemic, personal, or communal that would help us get closer to what that space looks like? And those questions are some that you can't answer outside of yourself. And yeah, I think that affects organization because it's about energy. If you don't have the, if you are tired and it's not from like the work. It's not like the, the, the exhaustion and like there's joy involved. You're just like, ugh, right? You're not going to want to think about your monetization strategy. You won't even have the time to really think about, okay, like who am I monetizing for? What is my market? Have I, have I thought about the kind of distribution I need? Do I need, should I, should I think about e-commerce? You know, what are, what are my, what are my PPCs on Facebook? Like you're not, you're not, you're not in that space. So yeah, I think before you can have the conversation about how the growth happens, like, are you, are you, <laughs> have you made enough space to grow? Oh, that is so true. That is that right there is the question. Like, it's like ordering a home gym and your spot is dirty. Like you bought the Bowflex and you can't build it cause there's no space. So you trying to be out here with the, with the eight pack for the summer 
So you could be a La Marita flexing and you have no space to, to, to unpack or build the thing. What's that conversation with yourself that you had to have that really has allowed you to have space to grow? There's a couple. Uh, the first one is, um, I'll give you like third person. So it's, okay. it's, it's, it's Jonathan. Um, if you said that you wanted to be this kind of person, are you willing to eliminate the things or walk away from the things that are good that preclude you from being that person? The, the subtext there is that like it's about time. So if there are things I need to do and there are other things that are taking time away from those things, it doesn't matter if those things are good or bad. What matters is it's time, which is not renewable. Yep. Um, the other the other question is. How are you showing up the way you need to for the values that you say you have? So Why was that important for you? So if I say relationships are important, but I'm, um, you know, making excuses for why I'm not available for people that I say I love, I need to rebalance. Right. And now I, I, I mean this, I think for entrepreneurs, right? Like we work really hard. We work there. There's no like nine to five. There's no like structured hours. You can structure a day, but sometimes things happen all the time. Things happen. So, um, that's what I mean when I'm thinking about like what I focus on. So when I do have time to myself, who and what and where I'm spending that time gives me the energy I need when I'm not able to be around those people or those things or those places. So for me, like quiet time is the reason I'm able to do more work or better work because I can recharge. And who I recharge around has become infinitely more important than what I'm doing to recharge. Now, obviously, there's things I do to like take care of myself. But really, for me, um, the kind of person I'm around has started to play an, an outsized role in the kind of work or even the kind of thinking I'm doing. Because whether we want to it or not, we're influenced by everything. We live in a visual culture. You can't do you can't even do anything digitally without thinking about your actual, not just digital footprint, but like, what is your visual identity? Like that's what we obsess over. Right. So if I know that's true digitally in my personal life, the identity of who I am will be told by who I spend time with. Yep. That is, I never, I'm, I'm thinking about that visually as you're saying it and it makes so much sense. Right. Because that's how people like, it's kind of like branding, right. In a sense, like, that's how people are perceiving you. And that's how you're, you're perceiving yourself. Um, yep. you know, talking about this, like, do you believe in failure? Like, do you believe that failure is real? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely believe it. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I think if the question is like, you know, it's not a failure, you just learn. Yeah. But like, I hate losing. And I know exactly what losing is because if I set a goal and I don't hit it, I feel like I lost. I was a competitive gymnast for eight years. Not everybody won. Not everybody got a trophy at a meet. Failure is a thing. It's a real thing. It happens. It sucks. It's debilitating. And it will have you in your feelings. Now, your ability to not treat those feelings as facts is what I think separates people. That is like not being able to separate the feelings versus the facts. Um, and thinking about your own life, you know, cause people love stories. Is there a story where you feel like you failed at something, but you were able to separate those feelings and really move forward from? Yeah. Um, I think I've failed in the past couple of years 
at being like an attentive friend. Like this one hurt me a lot. I, I, I think I haven't been there all the way I, 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 I should have, or maybe, um, uh, position myself as, um, and I, I sort of let certain friendships wither and die. And that, that was based on my neglect and not busyness. Right. And so I think for a long time, I sort of, uh, treated that as like a personal failure. Like I, I had like a, a character flaw and I realized, um, more recently that it was actually a, an issue and an, an opportunity focused on alignment. So less like, why are you being a bad friend? Cause that's a story I told myself like, mm-hmm. man, I lost this friendship cause I'm like this person. It is actually a conversation around like, how could you show up with your full self to this person? And what adjustments would you need to, to make to have that person in your life in a meaningful way? So they feel like they're getting to see you. And it started to realize that like I was doing so many things around the city and moving around that I had never invited my friends to see me at work. And so one of the ways that I've tried to sort of amend that is like if I'm doing something in New York and I know I haven't seen somebody in a while, I'll go out of my way to be like, hey, man, I'm, I'm doing this thing. Or like, you know, what are you doing on this day? Would you like to come? And having them in the room they get to see me um, as myself. I get to show up as myself. And then they get to actually experience who I have become or who I'm growing into in real time. And so, you know, the failure became uh, the lesson because I just chose to amend or adapt something that I, I had control over. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I reduced it down to, to, to first principles. Right. That is to say, like, what decisions could I make? Or what is the simple, what is the thing I'm actually trying to get? I'm trying to have um, a holistic life I'm proud of. And to do that, I, I need the people that I love to be close to me. And to get them close to me, I need to create environments that they can opt into. I love that. And I feel like that. I, I just thank you for, for being so transparent and being so honest about that. So I feel like some, that's something that people have a hard time admitting, right? We're thinking it, we're feeling it, it's happening to us, but sharing it is something that a lot of us have have struggled with. So I just thank you for sharing that. Um, I have four words that I want to say to you, right? And just tell me what you think about it or t- talk to me about what these four words inspire, what the thoughts they inspire in you, okay? Right. Black men cry too. Oh, that's, uh, that's emotionally healthy. Um, that's like a, a big deal for us. I think just not just admit, but just do like, that's actually like a scientific release. Like crying is for me, like an exhale. And I think more of us do it than we admit weddings, childbirth, death, failure, bad mm-hmm. games, bad tests, all those things Like we, we do that. So pretending like we don't, it doesn't hurt. It hurts everybody, but it like it can, it can, it can kill you. Um, and your spirit. So I think that's, that's just something that just is, is, is natural and should be embraced. It is. And I just feel like, and I mean, I'm not a black man, right? I'm not a man in general, but I just feel like sometimes women are given the agency more to express those parts of themselves on like a public stage, right? Whether it's viewed from the outsiders as like good or bad, right? But like, it's just more commonly accepted, right? Like, why do you think this conversation on, like, we've been talking about it for the past 50 minutes is why do you think this conversation on knowing yourself, mental health, really like thinking beyond just surface level is so important for this next generation of like change makers? 
we've never had it. And like for you to, for us to do the kind of work we're all capable of doing, we have to take care of ourselves. And like, that's not just, that's not just a physical thing. Like we are, we are trying to invent things that don't exist. That requires you to use your mind. A lot of this work is knowledge work. We are knowledge workers. If you did something today that required you to think about it, you are a knowledge worker. It is incredibly hard to do high caliber work with consistency when you have trauma that's unspoken, pain that you don't know how to articulate, and a, and, and a misunderstanding of who you are mentally and feelings you can't articulate and you feel like they uh, invalidate you. That is a, that, that's a learned thing. That's a systemic issue that is taught to us by voice and by deed. And a lot of that is cultural. A lot of that gets passed down, depending on the, the house you grew up in, the family structure. Yeah, I grew up Caribbean, right? You don't talk about your feelings. What? You know? It's... I'm Caribbean too. No, you don't. And I grew up around a lot of Caribbean women. So, like, it, 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 it was no respect of gender in that regard. It was just, like, a cultural norm. Yeah. And so we're dying because of it. I, I don't mean that. I don't mean that figuratively. I mean, people are losing their life because we don't discuss this stuff. And so you got people committing suicide early and, and having psychological breakdowns and pretending like they're fine because they don't want they don't want to be ridiculed or they think it's, it's not cool to have a therapist or it's not cool to cry. And like we are losing talented, beautiful people. And not that that's the only thing that matters. Right. We're just losing our humanity because we pretend like we're not human. That's that's what's at risk. Like forget what, what like a business that gets built like people cease to exist because there is a chemical imbalance somewhere and they don't know where to go for help. And we don't talk about it. We don't we don't make public spaces. And that's separate from like the systemic issue where like there is a tragic lack and a and a and a consistent um, defunding of these these resources in communities of color. So not only can we not talk about it, we don't even know where to go. And yeah. if we knew where to go, the building we were going to go to got repossessed. <laughs> Closed down five years ago. Right. You're looking at cobwebs. It's just. Like, what do you think has to change? Like, how can people listening in, like, if they want to help change this narrative, help change this reality for a lot of people? Like, what what, what would you suggest? Um, I'm, again, like, simple things. Check in on your strong friend first, right? Like, the person who, like, carries the, like, ask them how they're doing. And don't let them say I'm good. Like, press them. Listen, that can go such a long That's way. Snap. You know how many people I know who are like walking, what do they call it? Uh, oh my God, there's a term for this. Uh, not dysfunctional. Like, oh, uh, there's a word. I'll, it'll come to me. Like, what's the word when you're like functional, dysfunctional? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I know a lot of, I know a lot of high functioning people with depression. Yeah. They yep. are not, they have, they are, they are literally getting promoted this year and they're still depressed. Like, so that's the first thing. Second, I think, um, there are a lot of resources out here that are getting built. Um, primarily, I've seen them being built uh, most publicly by black women. So, right, you got podcasts like Therapy for Black Girls. You got yes, Dr. Joy. She's um, going to be on the show. All right, she's dope, right? You've got, mm. you've got things like Black Girl in Ohm, um, which I think is just an important space um, for people. You've got um, things like what Jason Rosario is doing at the Lives of Men. You've got, um, you know, actually um, reduced um, medical, um, mental health services, like the open path collective, right. Where you can go. And if you don't have insurance or your insurance might not cover it, um, you can sort of have a reduced fee and sort of search for providers in your area. You know, there, there are, there are, there are resources that are popping up. 
um, to combat this. But I really think, you know, at a, at a, at a general basic level, I think, especially for your audience or people like entrepreneurs or creatives, like check in with yourself. Right. And sort of start thinking about like documenting how you feel will then force accountability. I've found in not ignoring it because because we're moving so fast, we can ignore signs that are not normal. It's not regular. Right. You can have a bad day, but I, I fear that people sometimes rationalize that. And a string of bad days. And then you're like, oh, I didn't get out of bed. And, and it's it's not the easiest thing I've found is for, for someone like me to slip into depression is pretending like it doesn't matter because, you know, it's happening. You can feel off, but you're like, no, nah, it's, it's regular. It's the winter time or you don't rationalize this like it is OK to have gone through these things. And we've lived in it for so long. Right. I sometimes feel like have you ever felt like you work better when you're sad and you and you convince yourself that it's OK to have that thought? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a high performing, that's a, that's a, that's a high performer dilemma, mm-hmm. which is like, Oh, I just got to get this done and then I'll feel good. It's the idea that like on the other side, the other end of the thing you execute on, you'll somehow feel better. And what I have been learning and trying to at least say is that we are more than the projects we execute on. We are more than the deadlines. And if you literally never, ever, ever execute on another thing again, you are still worthy Right. And so you like, sure, keep doing your work, do your thing. But like, please, on everything, don't attach your value to it, because that's when it that that's when you put yourself in a precarious position. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? I mean, I know it's really early in our lives to think about that, but maybe it's not like right. Like what kind of like what do you hope that if 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 there was a history book written about you? Right. Um, And it was true. Like, what would you want it to say? Yeah, I don't think it's ever too early to think about legacy. I've seen I've seen enough. Um, I've lost enough people to know that, like, you, thinking about that can help inform the right kind of work. I think for me, uh, someone that, like, died empty, like, I didn't leave any gifts on the table. Like, I, I took whatever I had and I maximized it. And there was no question about that based on the body of work that outlasted me. Like, that's what I want. I I don't, I want things that other people can use. That's the kind of work I want to be doing. And I want there to be, it to be so apparent that it was for other people that they are compelled to use it based on the framework and the, the, the work that I did. I had a friend uh, use a metaphor the other day and told me he's trying to build the tree under the shade of which he will never, he will never stand. That's, 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 that's what gets me excited. It's like, man, I might never see this come to fruition, but you were part of the building and that's what, that's what you will pass on. Right. Well, that's the kind of work that requires all of you is if you know, you're not going to see it come to fruition. There's probably a part of you that has to be unlocked for you to even start that work. Cause that's a scary notion. And it's, it's something that you might have to build to get to that point where you can wholly attack it and wholly give yourself and give of your gift. There's one thing I wanted to say was, you know, we started this conversation talking about these these gifts you unearthed as a child and you really became engrossed in reading, writing, being able to synthesize information and relate it to others. Um, and I was listening to a podcast today with Stephen Hart and I forgot the guy's name that he was interviewing, but the guy basically said, like, so many of us are not 
giving our gifts to the world, right? We're out here trying to like invent other gifts, right? Like, you know, we're out here denying the thing that we know is what is part of our purpose. And I think from this conversation, I'm so inspired by how aligned you are with your purpose. I know you're a work in progress, right? We all are. But I just want to encourage everyone who's listening, like, don't stray from that thing that you know is your gift. And most of us know what that is. We just aren't yet ready to let it go out into this world. Yeah. So let us, uh, I'll actually have a question before we get into our lightning round, Jonathan. Like when you feel like giving up, and I know we just talked about this, but like thinking about what being a dream driver means to you, like what would you say to that person who is just, stuck and who who doesn't know what to do next when it comes to their career whether they want to grow in their job whether they want to build their own one every everybody gets stuck um so i, I think that's important they're like i've never met a person who hasn't had a rut or a thing and they you can still be moving and stuck that's that's also the other myth it's like somehow because you're moving you're going somewhere like that doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't make that doesn't make it true i think if you're stuck and you're and you're also working on changing the the tiny adjustments sometimes um matter more than the giant pivots so like the habits you start amending and like how you talk to yourself will have an incredible impact on what you see yourself able to do and accomplish for for me for jonathan when i am um you know feeling down or, or, or just having a tough day I, I i i do a couple things so psychologically i keep a wins folder in every email inbox i have i have a screenshot I, I screenshot happy things that people say to me all the time because it's so good to go back right and look yeah. at like i'm a winner like oh wow people do like this show you know i, yeah. I do the same thing all right so i do that and then i also i try to remember right like based on the people i know if I if if I win, there are so many people that are going to get to eat off that. If I know that's the goal and it seems far off, what is the next closest thing I need to execute on to actually just put one foot in front of the other? And that looks different every day. Some days that's me literally shutting my laptop and being like, nope, I'm good. Nope, straight. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go focus on something else. Sometimes that's me sending that email or drafting that email. Do not despise your own restart. What's next for Jonathan? Oh man. Uh, there are a couple things, uh, this year, uh, that, uh, will come to fruition. I can't, I can't really talk about yet, but from a, from a, uh, personal perspective, I will, I will be, I've committed myself to doing more writing publicly. I, I took about like a year and some change off and didn't really write publicly. Um, that's a gift of mine. So I'm, 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 um, trying to embrace that and, and do more of that. And, and share more with people. I think I think I think I have some stories that can help some people. And then also um, just taking better care of myself. You know, I think there are some parts of the lifestyle that I, I've, I've lived or things I've done that have just been unsustainable. Not again, not bad, but just like I don't always feel the way I need to. So really thinking about what do I need to actually be healthier and more fulfilled, and, and what are those choices? Um, so I'm trying to I'm trying to make more time for literally evaluating those parts of my life, you know, cause that's where I think you, you, you can start to see real improvement cause I'm always going to work. I'm always, I'm always going to be thinking about what's next. I, I really want to cultivate better habits around, you know, being joyful in, in, in my life and in the moments that I have and with the people that I love. 
Thank you, Jonathan. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. And I hope our dream drivers learn so much and just are inspired to really take a look into themselves and, and, you know, and work on developing who they are already, you know? So let's go, let's go into our lightning round. So this part of the interview, I'm going to give you a prompt and I want you to tell me the first word that comes to mind. All right. Uh, and we're sticking with our whole dreams and drive metaphor. Cool. Park. Reset. Reverse. Change direction. Neutral. Mediocrity. Drive. Focus. And if you want to be a dream driver, you have to have your keys to success. So tell me three things that you think every dream driver needs in their toolkit before they hit the road. I think uh, you you need a clear understanding of what you are aiming at and what, what that target actually looks like. Not what you anticipate it to be, but what is the target? Um, because it, it actually, you can get distracted if two things are far off, but you might aim at the wrong target, not because you didn't know your target, but it looked more interesting. So I think reminding yourself of the target routinely, I think daily practices are really important. Um, I, I'm, I'm fairly inconsistent at this, but I try to wake up and like, like prayer and quiet time is really important to me because mm-hmm. it helps center. So I think like daily rituals are something that, um, have just become necessary for me writing down your accomplishments like making a I, my coach told me i needed a brag sheet and so i think again like reminding yourself of who you are is one of the most powerful vehicles you have um especially when you know you're trying to climb a mountain and being okay with that like it's okay to brag about yourself it's okay to look at those things and say wow like i've done that i did that right i want everyone listening in to really start working on being okay with celebrating you and your journey right jonathan got to so tell our dream drivers where they can find you online if they want to check out your twitter they want to check out your instagram where can we holla at you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter at um, John Jackson. So J-O-N two underscores Jackson. And I have a newsletter I'm starting up again um, at tinyletter.com backslash Mr. Jackson. So that's where I'll be doing a lot more writing and a lot more uh, sort of um, articulating some of my own story a little bit more. So that's, that's where you can find me. All right. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Of course. All right, so that's a wrap for episode 137 with Jonathan Jackson. I hope that you enjoyed hearing his dream driving journey as well as his keys to success. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend. I love it when you guys are screenshotting and posting to Instagram stories on Twitter and Facebook. Remember, we are dreams and drive across the board. And you can find us on all of those channels. When you share it with one person, you're helping one person come over to the dreams and drive family. So please, please please keep on doing that remember we are doing a giveaway with passion planner so if you want to enter to win one of their 2018 dated classic timeless black sunday planners please go to dreamsanddrive.com slash win that's dreamsanddrive.com slash win to enter today do it before you forget i feel like a lot of people sometimes forget that we have these giveaways every week 
And I want to get back into the habit of shouting people out on air who have left reviews, but we haven't had any new reviews in such a long time. So if you haven't left a review on the show already on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please just go in there, leave us a rating, and then leave us a heartfelt comment about how this show has impacted you. I love to read them and I love to share them here on the episodes as well. One last reminder, our Dreams and Drive online merchandise shop is now open. Guys, if you want to get a Dreams and Drive hoodie, crew neck, or t-shirt, just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash shop. That's dreamsanddrive.com slash shop to shop today. Remember to use the code DRIVER if you want 10% off. That's DRIVER for 10% off. I also want to do a quick reminder and let you guys know that I am also still doing podcast consulting sessions. So if you want to work with me one-on-one, if you're looking to grow or launch a podcast, just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash session I am starting to put up blog posts on dreamsanddrive.com that relate to podcasting and all that good stuff because I get so many questions and I really cannot continue to answer everything one-on-one so I'm trying to create one place that can um, house all of that information all right so make sure you check out dreamsanddrive.com slash blog if you want to just go through all the posts on the website and remember all our show notes are on the website as well keep dreaming keep driving remember self-care mental health is so important we have to continue to check in on ourselves because if we don't keep ourselves fueled and nourished and making sure our energy is good we can't continue on this dream driving journey so remember that opening quote right if we want to grow we have to make sure that we are making space to grow in our lives keep dreaming keep driving and we'll chat again in episode 138 bye guys as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast that's indeed.com slash podcast terms and conditions apply